0: I made a lot of mistakes on my dime. Would I do it all again? Hell yes. But I think that's, that's a helpful way to look at when is the right time for me to leave. It becomes a question of, have you fucked up enough in your current job where you're going to be bringing learnings into your own agency and not make those mistakes again.
1: If you're at all curious what it's like to start an ad agency at the worst possible time, this might be the podcast for you. That's because I started one last year and my God, it is hard. So what I'm doing is I'm talking to people who have found success in our industry and then applying what I learned to my own life and business. If it doesn't work, I'm screwed. Okay, so I've actually recorded this a few times because it's been since March 20th since I've done... Podcast episode. Honestly, I'm pretty rusty, but more importantly, I need to update you guys on a lot of different stuff. Lots happened. So instead of just having like a long-winded huge intro, uh, I'll just give you a little tidbit of something that happened over this long stretch of time, and then we'll get more tidbits as we go. So one project that we've completed is for a wine, and this wine Uh, The project started, um, it was called Rise with a Y and it was a low ABV wine. That's their, that's their whole thing. Um, And they, the person who wanted me uh, to work on this forum, it wasn't a personal connection. It literally was somebody who saw me write something on Quora. I shit you not. So when this, agency was uh, Funny Makes Money, a comedy ad agency more on that later in terms of where we're headed um, I googled like comedy ad agency the first result or one of the top results was somebody who asked why isn't there a comedy ad agency on Quora, somebody responded saying that's the stupidest idea blah blah blah, blah. and then I sent some like really snarky response trying to make the guy feel like an idiot to make myself feel better And this guy, uh, we'll call him Bartholomew to keep his identity under wraps, reached out to me and said, hey, uh, I'm actually interested in this whole comedy ad agency thing. I am creating a pasta sauce. Uh, And I was wondering if you guys wanted to kind of pitch in and help out. Um, Kind of fast forward after like a month of like back and forth, uh, saying a proposal over, it just didn't really go anywhere. But he continue to be a listener of the podcast. So he was still staying up to date on where Gush was. I I think he was engaged with the story. I think he liked me. Uh, This is Bartholomew, of course. Um, And eventually he hit me up again. He's like, hey, uh, I'm now making a wine that's a low ABV wine and it's called Rise. And we have this website and we have this bottle, but we need ads. And one of the things that's happened with Gush is we've moved away from doing media uh, marketing and the you know creative ads because it turns us into a performance marketing agency. And we just want to do the creative stuff. So part of it was like we weren't really a good fit to like do ads that would drive results and get conversions. But part of it was we found this interesting statistic that was it's something like 80% of people buy wine at the store based on the label. And so we were like, holy shit, what if we design a sick label? And a bit of foreshadowing, you know, I had been working with um, this designer part-time named Javier who was really talented. And so I knew he would crush it. So we, you know, showed this guy uh, Bartholomew the information and he was like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, We got a very little bit of money to do it, but we were excited to do it. We ended up making it more of like a strategy and branding assignment more than just a, a wine label. And so what we ended up coming up with was this idea of balance and that this wine strikes the perfect balance between this low ABV, low Cal and high taste. You know, it's, it's a great tasting wine. We haven't diluted it so much that like it, tastes like watery and like shit. Uh, It still tastes good, but it's lower calorie and lower ABV. It strikes that perfect balance, but it also gives you more balanced night because you're not going to be totally hammered after having a couple glasses of wine. And, you know, the entire thing was to balance wine for a balanced time. And the branding, it's so dope. Like what Javier did is so dope. It's a, um, if you guys want to see it, I'll probably post it to LinkedIn or something like that. But basically it's all about extreme acts of balance so product photography is a pointer finger holding up a glass of wine and then on top of the glass of wine is the bottle so it's just like all these extreme acts of balance and then they have a a red wine a white wine and a rose each one is like kind of sophisticated almost like these oil paintings that we've hacked up you know one of my favorite ones is for the red wine and it's a dude on a horse kind of looks like napoleon but we've taken that person and then put him on his own shoulders and then done it again. So it's basically three people sitting on top of each other on a horse, this insane visual done in this traditional way, and it's dope. We have a, another one where it's literally um, you know somebody fishing by a lake, another oil painting, and there are about eight cows stacked up. So it's it just original painting is like there's a cow there next to a guy who's fishing and we just added like another seven cows they're all standing on each other so it's ridiculous and my friend actually came up with um, the name of the wine which is untippable and uh, it, it's great it's been it's been awesome uh, so we did that and we're really stoked to share that and that's complete we have two projects that are currently ongoing one is for a golf brand and then another is for a smart hydration flask. I will kind of give more updates I think on those as we go but those are really exciting. They're moving into production type stuff and I'm really stoked. Uh, Very stoked on it. I probably can talk about the uh, golf one more than I can the sort of water bottle one that's smart hydration, but, uh, you know, I'll, 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 be giving more information on that as we go. Skipping ahead to the business and kind of where we're at with the business. So I don't really even remember, uh, what I said on the last episode and it was about gush kind of changing, but what happened was about nine months ago, kind of like towards the start of COVID, even maybe like three or four months after COVID started, I needed on Friction Labs, that climbing shock brand, I needed some design help, some part-time design help. And I put a job post on LinkedIn and got some good responses, was very clear about the fact that I really couldn't pay much of anything like $2,000 a month for very, very part-time work. Uh, But this dude who didn't speak great English and had just moved from Madrid to L.A. Uh, was like, you know, look, man, you know, I'm, I'm interested in this whole funny makes money comedy ad agency angle. I understand that you're still growing the agency and I'm cool, like doing a little bit of stuff with you for a little bit of money. And let's see what happens. And, you know, I looked this guy up and I, again, like I, I was getting too many quality applications for the amount of money I could pay. I was like, I don't deserve this. But this guy was definitely the best. You know, he had won awards. He was a creative director level out in Spain. Uh, He actually kind of had his own agency uh, that was a lot like mine in, in that it was just him and one other person. And they were, you know, had an agency built around them and would hire out freelancers. So he got involved. And then you fast forward to like, seven or eight months later, and he's still involved. I've worked with a lot of people that have not stuck it out with me or that I've had to let go of or whatever, but we've always worked very well together because we have the same love of like advertising and making cool stuff that, is, that feels original and not contrived and, and kind of lame. And so we've always like felt the same way about that stuff, and we we constantly you know if we're coming up with ideas for a client like they're different and they're interesting and you know if it's funny it feels actually kind of funny and out there and so we just have a similar creative sensibility and it got to the point where we were actually getting you know some more work and I needed him to be full time I needed like a full time commitment and he just wasn't able to give that if this wasn't his agency too and so. I've invested my own money in this agency. I had already been doing it for a little over a year, but what I ended up doing um, is I gave him 50% of the agency. Just, you know, I didn't even have to think about it that much. The guy, the dude is so talented and we work so well together that was like have half, half of it. And so now I have a 50-50 partner. We're a creative duo. Um, and I'm not alone in this, which is great. Uh, we're both working towards the same goal. We both have the same vision and I have you know, somebody that I can consistently and full-time creatively collaborate with. Uh, so that's a big update. And the other thing that has had to evolve is that because Javier is so good at design and branding, we've started to do work that's more strategy and branding and less like you know, these jokey, funny ads that are you know, produced very cheaply. And as a result of that, we can't really be a comedy ad agency anymore. You know, the brands that we're making, we made this license plate company. We called them Piato. We were doing naming. It's very, like, premium. The, the work that we pitched to Friction Labs um, ended up making more sense as being a very premium brand. Uh, this golf brand that I was mentioning is more funny, but, like, ultimately, we're not funny makes money anymore. We're not doing media in-house Uh, because it's making us a performance marketing agency. We're doing a lot more than just comedy. We have to be something different. So I will be illuminating you guys on what we think we're going to be positioning the agency as. We had a really good, really clear positioning with Funny Makes Money, uh, but it's just, it doesn't work. And so whatever it is, uh, this is pessimistic. I don't think it will be as good as that from a differentiation perspective because we need a wider umbrella to do more things that aren't just comedy or this or that. And yeah, we're we're a creative agency and we're, you know, we're figuring out how to put ourselves out in the world and it's exciting and we do have clients and we're not, you know, I'm not posting to LinkedIn all the time or putting out episodes all the time because we have been busy. So it's a good problem. Uh, to have and we're excited and I'm going to keep trying to put out episodes to give you guys updates uh, because I enjoy it. I still learn stuff from it and uh, I love being the center of attention. But in terms of the conversation, so I'm going to be talking to Meryl Draper and she is the CEO and founder of a place called Queer Creative. She's been somebody I've been wanting to talk to for a while because she's like me, but three or four years into the future. So they're like successful she was like the creative top 100 in ad week. Um, she's, you know, the, the first time I saw her uh, was she was like doing a talk for ad week at one of their summits. And then she kept popping up and it was like, who is this person? And they their stuff gets written up in the publications. They're winning awards and uh, they are a creative agency. So it was like, who better to talk to? Than Meryl Draper, and she is also related to the fictional character of Don Draper, which is very cool as well. We don't talk about it, but that's definitely a fact. Uh, so, anyways, without further ado, Meryl Draper. Quirk Creative has like been popping up everywhere for me. I was an Adweek mentee. And, oh, amazing! Um, you got you guys are kind of everywhere.
0: It's great to hear that, you know, when you start off, nobody knows you. It becomes a journey of like, okay, we want people to start hearing about us in some way, shape or form. So that's great.
1: Yeah. And we are. So definitely, definitely you feel great about that because I think for the last year, I've been like aware of you guys and, and wanting to talk to you. And then finally I was just like, I'm going to reach out. Let's see what Amazing. happens. So, yeah, I mean, like a lot of the questions that I have is like putting myself in a, in a time machine, you know, hopefully I'm where you guys are at. So I think probably what makes the most sense is just starting from the beginning, just kind of what gave you the gusto to to go after it and start something when this is like the most difficult industry to succeed in.
0: Well, I'm sure you're realizing this, but the response to that question, there's always the PR response and then there's like the actual story. And I actually started my career in PR. So like I know how to spin a story. So I'll tell you like the way it's spun is... I had my background in big agencies, in PR, in ad shops like Ogilvy, and then I went client side and started hiring agencies, which is true, and figured out, wow, this is a process that really sucks. There's pricing confusion when I'm working with outside vendors, I'm getting billed for like phone calls, I'm hiring a lawyer stuff, and I was in San Francisco at the time and I figured all these startups popping around. There was a lot of talk around the lean startup methodology, which is moving with agility and nimbleness. And the light bulb went off of, well, can I apply this methodology to the ad world, which is in dire need of a refresh. And so the premise of Quark was a leaner, more agile ad agency. That was really the, the hypothesis. And I'm lucky enough to be married to someone who is a creative. His background is in video and production and commercial directing and feature film directing. My background is in accounts and more the business side of things. And so it was kind of a perfect match. So that's the PR answer. I mean, the real answer is I just wanted to work for myself. That was really the driving force. You know, when you realize like, oh, I can be doing this better and be happier. Why don't I just go for it?
1: That was similar mindset. Um, I like that answer a lot (laughs) because it reminds me of myself. The whole lean business strategy, like I'd, I'd read about, and I wanted to ask about that. What makes an agency lean? Is it like a freelance model or what, what's kind of practically uh, done?
0: I think that's a great question. I mean, the obvious answer is just size. Like if you're smaller and you're more thoughtful with your resources, for example, hiring people who can wear multiple hats, keeping your team signs down, you're able to move a lot faster. There's less people involved in decision-making. So you can work on creatives more quickly. You can get those creatives to market more quickly, which is really appealing from a client side. So team size has a lot to do with it, but I think it's also the structure internally. So thinking through stupid things like rounds of revisions or how many people need to be involved in XYZ output it's a lot about empowering every level of your team. There's no reason that an ECD needs to sign off on every little thing that happens in a day. Otherwise, you're just going to move slower. I, I think those are the big things that that make a difference in yeah. being able to move quickly.
1: Yeah, and having too many cooks in the kitchen is the worst. We have the same philosophy. It's like, if you have too many people involved, you'll just overthink something to death. I, I completely yeah. agree.
0: There's a really good example that comes to mind. We were working in tandem with a massive agency on this one brand. It was a Fortune 500 brand. And we were each doing different parts of a creative project. So there was the Quark team, which at the time was literally, I think it was like four of us. And then the massive agency was working on the project as well. And there was this meeting with the client where we both had to be there. And they showed up with, I think it was like, 10 or 11 individuals cramped into this conference room. And then it was me and Galen who showed up on our end. We just were like, hey guys, like, yes, <laughs> we're at the other agency. And in the end, we produced something really amazing. And we got it done in like half the time of the bigger agency. And I just think there's a lot to be said for not having too many cooks in the kitchen. I think creative, like everyone will have a different creative opinion. So the more people you bring in, like the more diluted an idea can be.
1: Absolutely. I have an idea that I want to stress test by you. So, given the whole cooks in the kitchen thing, what do you think about a model where there's no juniors? You don't bring it upon yourself to need to help people learn and work their way up and build capabilities. You let other agencies do that. And then you have a creative director or a strategy director or whatever leading and doing the work so that nothing has to be pitched to them for them to fix. It's done quickly. The result is better. That sort of thing. What do you think about that?
0: I think that's great. Although from a personal standpoint, I actually think that's part of the fun of running our own agency is being able to cultivate talent and give folks the opportunity to learn. I was uh, at Ogilvy. They hired me at, I was way too young for the role they hired me for. I think I was 22, they gave me a manager position. <laughs> and I'm like, I have no business being a manager right now. But um, them extending that opportunity to me. And I had a great boss at the time. His name is Poran. And just him mentoring me and giving me the opportunity to develop my skill sets. I think that was an experience I'll never forget. So I actually like that element of quirk is finding You know, folks who maybe haven't had like 10 years of experience, but like bringing them into the fold and giving them opportunities to grow their career. I just think you might be missing out on that fun if you just hire senior people who are like already at the top of my game kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it is fun. I don't know. It's something I'm stress testing. So kind of back at the start, you left and it was just you and your husband or, and then did you guys have money in the bank? Did you have a client that you left with? How did you guys start?
0: There was a little bit of money coming in. I mean, we were completely bootstrapped. So I mean, you know this, when you start a services business, you're essentially selling your time. So there was the pressure of, well, we have to start making money day one, or we're not going to have our next meal. We started working on really small projects. Initially, we weren't making a lot of money the first year, Um, but it just was, you know, pressure like, okay, we're doing this. Like we got to start going, we got to start selling.
1: So the pressure, like, did it, did it lead you to finding open RFPs and just like throwing yourself into the pitch process? Were you reaching out to connections and saying, Hey, we're doing this. We can help.
0: I basically turned, I've never done sales in my life. And at that moment, I just started leading new business. So um, it worked out perfectly because Galen was executing on the creatives, whatever projects were coming through the door. And I was going out and hunting for new business. So it was a lot of cold outreach, sending emails to brands that I wanted to work with 99.9% of them didn't respond, but like the 0.01% that did respond, like those became our initial projects. Our big break came from my good friend Morgan, who at the time was working in a Fortune 500, had heard that I was starting my own thing. And she brought us into the conversation. It was a project they were looking to do on the brand side. No other agency would touch it because it was such a small budget. The brief was like, travel across the U S on a minuscule budget and like shoot a spot that's going to win awards. And we were like, yeah, this is great. This is more money than we've ever made on a project. We'll totally do it. I think we ended up like net, like negative $200 on the project overall, but getting our foot in the door in our organization and them starting to look at us as like this scrappy, quick moving team that could get it done when larger agencies couldn't was a real game changer for us. We continued working with that brand and just having their logo up on our site was such a like proof point for us of like, yeah, we've worked with a real company we can work with you kind of thing. My success is 100% tied to my friends and family and people I've met along the way who have helped open doors. Could I have done it without them? Hell no. You know, you just start to see the amazing things people will do for you, the doors they'll open for you. And it's your responsibility then to just say yes, and then take that opportunity.
1: So when you started, what was the first budget of Mm. the first video that you shot, what client, and then what was the budget of that one that nobody else would take? And then kind of what are your budgets now?
0: I won't tell you what our budgets are now because it's such a nuanced thing. We work primarily in the video space and budgets ultimately boil down to like scrappiness of the crew, number of shoot days, the complexity of the project, you know, are we like shooting on the moon? Like, do we have explosions? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Along with the usual things of like the deliverables. Are we delivering like TV ads, how many assets, that sort of thing. But I will tell you the first check I ever cashed was for, I think it was $1,500. It was for like a three-minute video for like a cool food and beverage brand. And I, I remember cashing that check and I was like, oh my gosh, like I can make money from this. That's a minuscule amount compared to the budgets we work with now. But you have to start somewhere somewhere you really do, especially in that first, second year, like we took all sorts of budgets. We made zero profit on a lot. And that's what it takes to just get something up and running.
1: So it was you, you were kind of, I mean, you and your husband, I'm sure between the two of you guys were handling so much stuff. You're your own finance person, like all that. At what point did you bring on another person? And was it like kind of like a freelance thing or was it a permanent thing? What was the order that you hired people? Because I'm going through that now of like, all right, I have this small amount of money. I need all these people. Who do I bring them on and in what capacity?
0: I think the first couple of hires are so nerve wracking because like first from a management standpoint, we had no idea what we were doing. Like it took us a long time, I think, to understand what managing well really meant. And those first hires, you're usually making them when you're pretty bootstrapped still. So it's like, the price of a salary is something that's really tough to swallow. And there just is a breaking point where you realize I cannot grow unless I bring another full-time person on, even though it's initially going to cost me more. There will be a turning point where we're able to take on more work and do more work because we have this extra person. So the first person we brought on, we had actually worked with her in a freelance capacity for several months. And then it was kind of the right time to um, make her a full-time offer. And she came on board. We ended up parting ways, I think about a year later. And then the next hire we brought on was more from an operational standpoint. We realized for me to start doing new business full time, I needed someone to handle the clients and the account management. And so we brought on our first accounts person to basically handle clients.
1: So you're very much focused on on new business now. Like you, you started selling, didn't have experience. Now you love it and it's your main thing?
0: Yeah, that's pretty much what I do all day is cultivate new relationships, talk to new potential partners, you know, and just talk about quirk.
1: So how much of your biz is retainer and how much of it is project-based and and kind of how do you manage that given that we're moving into more of a project-based model?
0: So we're 99% project-based. I think if you come from a traditional agency, that's a really hard concept to wrap your head around. The downside of being more project-focused is yes, there's less ability to have accurate forecasts in the long term like I'm never like okay great I know we have this 5 million retainer that's going to last us like 3 years and let's hire accordingly. The pros of project based in my humble opinion far outweigh the cons. I think being project based is one of the reasons we were able to survive the pandemic and actually come out stronger. On the other end, uh, I think more brands are looking for that flexible model. I think people also hear project based and they they assume it's one and done, but we work on primarily repeat projects. So We'll be flexible with our clients. We'll work with you on your TV launch. You come back to us in six months and we'll do it again if you want. If you don't want to do that, that's fine too. But it's a lot of clients who are coming back, working with us for like short, intense periods. And then they come back when they need us again.
1: You talk a lot about OTT, a term I'm not sure I had ever heard before. Interesting acronym. I looked it up. I think I get what it is now. It's like Netflix and... and Exactly,
0: versus like, cable advertising, cable TV advertising.
1: So very naive question, but why do I need to know about that as a marketer?
0: Well, I mean, it's the whole new frontier of advertising. I think, um, you know, we work with a lot of direct-to-consumer clients who are not just like tapped out of social channels, but looking to grow up, you know, and reach new audiences. And so... Where do I turn to for bigger reach? Okay, TV is the obvious thing that comes to mind, but streaming has opened this world of possibility to reach new consumers on a massive scale. I mean, cable TV, I think, still commands the biggest reach, but streaming is is not far behind. And the exciting thing about streaming is the targeting capabilities. Like you're able to target households at a much more granular level than you are on cable TV. And so we have brands who like are come to us and say, hey, I want to get into TV. But the way I'm going to do that is first I'm going to dip my toe into OTT, test out new creatives. And they see OTT almost as like a, as a gateway to, to more traditional cable linear TV. It's like the new frontier of TV, I would say.
1: Okay. So talking about like a Hulu, right? That's streaming. I, I throw my ad up there. That's great. Netflix, no ad. So is there a way to get in with like a Netflix?
0: That's more of a media buy question. I mean, typically when we're working on OTT projects, like we're handling all the creative, but the media agency partners that we have, like they'll come up with the actual like specific plan. So whether it's like a Hulu or a Roku or whatever, like that's where they will come in with recommendations on how to get their ad into those new streaming channels.
1: Got it. So what's an example of like a cool creative thing that you've been able to do through a streaming platform that you weren't able to do on TV?
0: I think we're still figuring that out. There's so many new opportunities as far as like the real estate OTT offers. For example, you know, on cable TV, you'll have like your 30 second ad, right? On Mm -hmm. OTT, there's additional real estate and interactivity that you can layer on. So for example, like you know, uh, being able to interact with an ad or like a a side banner, um, a companion to the actual video ad, like that's fun, new real estate that we're still very much exploring. And I think there's something to be said for OTT being a, a ground for entertainment, like entertainment is huge. Um, just given the medium, And then also a slightly younger demo. So maybe you're finding nuances in performance because like one more entertaining spot is working really well on OTT versus a slightly older demo on cable TV. I think we've just scratched the surface in terms of the real estate we can take advantage of in OTT and how we tweak creatives between that and linear.
1: Awesome. Okay, that makes sense. I want to talk about leadership. So Mm -hmm. I haven't led shit in my life i maybe had a junior copywriter below me at one point. Now, like I'm just by default, the leader, like you've, you've led, you've had uh, an account director position, but what feedback have you gotten from your employees and your husband and people you work with and clients that it have impacted you as a leader and made you better?
0: I think I'm very much a work in progress when it comes to leadership. It's so hard. The Biggest impact I've had on my leadership style has actually been from past bosses that have not done a great job. And Mm -hmm. so understanding what it's like to be managed by someone else and how that felt and the moments it didn't feel great is something I try to remember. I think everyone's probably able to say this. Think about a boss you had that maybe wasn't so great. And what did they do? And that becomes almost as a a template for your leadership on things to avoid. I think the big learning for me as a leader is that there's no one type of leader. I think for a long time, I felt like I had to put on this face of knowing it all and having all the answers. And that is so far from the truth. Like 80% of the shit that comes through that I have to make a decision on, I've never done before. And I have no experience. And I've gotten comfortable with not pretending like I have all the answers. And I actually think that's probably a great quality in a leader where you're able to say, Hey, does anyone else have ideas on this? Because like, I'm out of my depth here. And just getting more comfortable with like, not being a perfect leader whatever that means, you know, being vulnerable, saying, I don't have the answer to this, but I'm willing to figure it out. That sort of thing, I think is, is what I've learned.
1: Gotcha. Great answer. Awards. How important are they? Do they matter? Is it bullshit?
0: Awards are total bullshit. If you're finding your self-worth from an award, you need to take a long, hard look at yourself because you should not be benchmarking your own success based on a panel of people who have no idea who you are and the work that you you did to, to lead to a final creative. On the flip side, awards are a great thing for PR and for visibility. They are a great little thing to put in your capabilities deck that just kind of check that box for clients that like, yes, you're legitimate and like you've done something. So I think if you're going after awards and if you want awards, just know that it has absolutely no bearing on your um, success as a creative or a human and do it because it's going to get you some possible PR.
1: That's a super good point and super helpful from a awards perspective because a lot of people talk about it. We all know it's bullshit, but it does. It generally, I think, does. Yeah.
0: Feels good. I get it. It's a little dopamine hit of like, I did a thing. <laughs> That's why I'm like, I, yeah, like I know I'm shitting on it, but yeah, I'm still submitting to win those awards, you know? And I get bummed we don't make it 100%.
1: Are you going after like the can, the one show, the DNA D, those types?
0: We're going after a lot of like the more like business focused awards, like, you know, small agency of the year, that sort of thing that I think would mean a lot just from like a, Hey, I built, I built this thing.
1: All right. Let's talk about pitching for a sec. You've been up against other agencies, probably agencies that have been bigger than you, maybe even agencies that are more well-known than you and you've won. So how did you do it? How do you approach pitches? Have you made mistakes that have taught you lessons that have benefited you down the line? Tell me what to do. So we don't pitch. Hell yeah.
0: We won't do work for free. I don't know why people in the industry still do it. It's mind-blowing to me. And it's about a, having an upfront conversation of your value to the interested brand. I think the best relationships between brands and agencies are relationships that are founded on trust. How can I command respect and trust if I'm giving you work for free? I pay my interns, you know, that's my expectation. You do work for me, I pay you. And so it really rubs me the wrong way when brands ask us to do work for free. And I just, it's the hard and fast policy I have. And what that means is when folks know that, it goes one of three ways. One is they say, oh, well, we actually don't want to work. With you because we have these other agencies that are doing work for free for us. The second thing that happens is we still get invited to have chats with them, but it's more a proposal built on case studies and our team. It's a decision that's based more on like charisma and like the vibe that they get from our team. Um, we get really granular with pricing and timelines. So it's like it's a proposal that's actionable. Um, and that's going to lay out how we're going to work with the person, but not giving the work. Or the third way, and this is happening more and more, and I really am excited to say this, but like there's more of a willingness from brands to compensate for concepts. So it, that's, that's usually what happens. And I mean, we have had year over year growth, working with cooler and cooler brands, increasing revenue while having a no pitch policy. So I, I don't see we'd ever go back
1: we've been invited to pitch once and we got compensated for it. So I totally agree with that. When you, So if you're compensated for a pitch and you're pitching against other people, when that's happened, how do you, how do you approach that? How do you prepare for that? Why do you think you've won when you've won?
0: It's kind of like putting on blinders. Like you forget about the competition and you just let your creative team have fun with it and answer Mm -hmm. the briefs to the best of their abilities. It's not like a tactical strategy of like we're going to do X, Y, Z to like beat up the competition. It's like, I know I have an amazing creative team. Let's put our collective heads together, answer the brief and have fun with it while we do it. That's arguably like why we're all in this industry is to come up with really cool ideas that we can bring to life. And so just responding to a brief with that mindset allows you to have more fun with it. And if you're getting compensated for it, that takes the pressure off. Like you're getting paid for your time. Like you've already won. So just have fun and put together the best ideas you can. And if you lose, like you didn't lose any money. You were compensated for the resources you put against the brief. Great. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's awesome. So I've gotten a ton of useful nuggets as I'm, I'm, i was sure I would. One of the ways I like to end is just asking if you have any piece of advice that was given to you over the course of your life or you think might be relevant to me, you know, anything in general. You just want to leave me with not that you haven't given me anything already.
0: I think my advice would probably be to other people listening in who are thinking about starting their, their agency, um, and don't know when is the right time. The best thing I heard was try to make mistakes on someone else's dime because obviously mistakes are costly. And the more experience you have just like screwing up where it doesn't cost you money, it's like you're working for someone else, it costs them money. Mm-hmm. The, more, um, the more experience you're going to have going into your own agency. So probably can be interpreted as like, oh man, I need to stick in my job as long as possible to uh, make sure I make as many mistakes as possible. I started my own agency when I was 24. So I made a lot of mistakes on my dime. Would I do it all again? Hell yes. But I think that's, that's a helpful way to look at when is the right time for me to leave. It becomes a question of, have you fucked up enough in your current job where you're going to be bringing learnings into your own agency and not make those mistakes again? Make sure you've made mistakes so that you can structure things differently in your own thing.
1: Hell yeah. Totally agree with that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I've been looking forward to this for a long time and it's been super, super great.
0: Super fun. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Really appreciate it.
1: You bet. Looking forward to seeing what you guys do next.
0: Cheers. You too. Bye.
1: Well, 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 good episode. Glad to be back. I just want to thank Meryl Draper for her time and you should definitely check out their agency. uh, If you're in the industry or if you're looking to hire somebody, You know, also check out ours. Uh, I think technically we might be competitors, but, like, you know, they've been in the game for a while. They have great work. If you hired them instead of us, I, you know, I would fully understand.